while we're on the first slide, I will read the text. Today we're talking about the danger of self-delusion. This morning in Sunday school, we talked about how Saul, the Saul of the Old Testament who didn't want to listen to God, became deceived through self-delusion. And so we have the same topic here. I'll read the text while we're on this title slide. 1 Corinthians 3, 18 through 20, from Christian Standard Bible. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks he is wise in this age, let him become a fool so that he can become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God, since it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the reasonings of the wise are futile. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for giving us the opportunity to gather together, to open your word, to understand what you've said, and may you pierce us to the heart and help us uh, have a love for the truth and reject the lie. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Now let's go to verse 18. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks he is wise in this age, let him become a fool so that he can become wise. Notice I highlighted a couple of the phrases and then in this age. This text has two imperatives in the Greek. And one of the things we need to understand to avoid self-deception is that we live in an age which is of limited duration. It's an age in which darkness has deceived the whole world. And the only way out of the deception is through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Christians have believed the crucified Jewish Messiah, Jesus Christ. We learned earlier in 1 Corinthians that God has so revealed his way of salvation that it offends everyone. The Jews are looking for signs. The Greeks are looking for wisdom. But the gospel is a crucified Jewish Messiah rejected by all other than those who believe the truth. So the self-deception is going to happen during this age. This age is not forever. There'll be an end to it. We live in the church age. We live in an age in which those who trust in Christ, believe in Christ, and turn to him are delivered from darkness and receive the gift of eternal life. Now, I use this term here, protasis, which would be the beginning of an if-then logical statement. And the conditional in the Greek would indicate it's assumed to be true. Those who are not thinking correctly um, think they're wise. It's very rare that those who are proud and those who uh, don't want to listen to the truth of the gospel 
Now, in the case of the Corinthian church, the issue is status, status, honor, and making false judgments. I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos. I'm of Peter. I'm of Christ. Paul said earlier, what, is Christ divided? And so if you think that way, you're assuming that you're wise in this age and that you know things you don't know. Those that don't know Christ at all are all deluded. Now, how do you find freedom from self-deception? Well, the answer is, let him become a fool. Now, (laughs) that doesn't sound very good, does it? People go to church and the preacher says, here's the way out, become a fool. That's what it says. Now, how do you become a fool? The way you become a fool is to believe the truth, what God actually said, what God did, who Christ is, and believe that God truly raised him from the dead. We're not asking people to join a religious group. We're not asking people to find status through religion, but to believe what is in fact true. God really did send his son to die for sins, the just for the unjust, in order to bring us to God. So the first imperative, which is a command, let no one deceive himself. The way out is to embrace the gospel and reject the wisdom of this age. Today, when I have some applications at the end, will be in the book of Romans. Seeing what is on the news and what we see people blatantly claiming that they believe in the name of God, it should be obvious to us that the entire world, including the religious world, is deceived. And that good is considered evil, and evil is considered good. But we're not here to turn this age into the kingdom of God. We're here to call people out of darkness and into light. The Corinthians were impressed with Sophia or Sophos. They were wise, so they thought, but this thinking is not good because we live in an age of deception. Let's break that out a little bit as we go to the next slide. 1 Corinthians 3.18a, let no one deceive himself if anyone among you thinks he is wise in this age. Thinking here is uh, something that we really need to be careful about in the sense that we need to think, but we need to think objectively. And delusion is when people believe that which is not true, not in in accordance with reality, and assume that if you think a certain way, you can alter the world around you or even your own self by thinking. But thinking is not by its own right 
true. You can think a lot of things. In fact, we see in the world we live in, many people assume a right to think anything they want to think, even if it's absurd, and everyone around is supposed to get with the plan. If you think you're a potted plant, that's your right. Don't you dare call me anything but a potted plant. And this uh, absurdity, this sort of delusion has taken on a life of its own in our culture in which we can see where that's going and it's not good. The way out of the lie is the truth. We do not have the power, the privilege, or any uh, ability to create reality with our words or with our thinking. What we do have is a need to believe the truth that's revealed by God in Scripture. Self-deception is based on false thinking. Self-deception rejects God's wisdom, which is always at odds with the world's. This age is temporary. This age is under God's wrath. This age, as we'll show in many scriptures today, believes the lie of Satan. You won't die. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. You don't need to believe the truth. You don't need to submit to God, the devil says, the liar and the father of the lie. Let me cite again Dr. Gordon Fee. Those who persist in pursuing Sophia or thereby destroying, not building the church, says Fee, are self-deceived. And a fearful judgment threatens them. God will destroy the one who destroys God's temple, the church in Corinth, verse 17. Fee continues, Paul's point is that the Corinthians' present course is nothing but deception. Deception of the highest order, says he, and thus leads ultimately to destruction. He continues, hence he urges them to abandon it in favor of one, of one that brings them back to God's folly, the way of the cross, of a crucified Messiah, which is true wisdom, unquote. Here's what I see as the problem in my own uh, analysis of this. History, since the closing of the canon of Scripture, the death of the true apostles, the biblical ones, history is filled with turning the cross into something that no longer bothers people, adapting any and all world religions, turning the cross into jewelry, a symbol, something nice, something desirable, something that would uh, somehow be very, very good, very, very nice. And so when you preach Christ crucified to people immersed in Christendom, it's like they have Teflon. 
It just slides off. There's probably better no-stick surfaces nowadays, but things just slide off. They slide off. And the problem is it's not offensive to embrace the cross if you redefine what it means or if you claim that it's the way to power or it's the way to signs and wonders greater than any done by Christ and his apostles. Some people claim that. But you cannot change the essence of the gospel. It still offends the lost. And I'm thankful for the updates we get from evangelists. Thank you for going out and speaking to people. There are so many that heard about these things, but it doesn't make any sense in their minds. The exhortation against self-deception uses a word from the Greek that has an intensive, and I'll just cite what it means from a theological dictionary. To deceive completely, beguile, seduce, meaning to lead out of the right way into air. Satan is in the business of seducing people away from the truth, of promoting the lie, of getting people to think that there's some means of salvation that doesn't involve future judgment, that there will be no judgment that comes cataclysmically in history that we do not need to turn away from this world and trust Christ alone. This age mentioned earlier in 1 Corinthians, it's a, a, a wisdom of this opposed to God. It says in 1 Corinthians 2.8, none of the rulers of this age knew this wisdom because if they had known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. They defeated themselves, both the spiritual and political rulers who wanted to be done with Christ. The standards of this age are not God's standards. The Bible is the very inerrant and authoritative word of God. God cannot lie. God has spoken. We can rely on what the Bible says, not because of blind faith, but because of the facts collaborated. What is there to make us think the Bible is not reliable? People used to say that, but their theories were disproven. Archaeology proves the, the places exist. Other religions have similar stories, but not inspired ones. God created the entire universe out of nothing. There's no reason we shouldn't believe what the Bible says. Let's go to the second part of this verse. Let him become a fool so that, which I have highlighted, it's a purpose statement, he can become wise. So this second imperative is literally a call to believe the gospel. And I was as hostile as anyone 
to the gospel. I had rejected the church. I had rejected the idea that I needed to be religion, religious, and I had gone my own way. But God had a different plan. So 51 years ago in July, he intervened supernaturally and stopped me in my tracks. And that's what conversion's like, by the way. Now, not everyone has a dramatic experience. Some people grow up hearing the truth and they believe it. and They can't put their finger on a date. You don't have to. But what we must do is believe the truth. In fact, after 50, almost 51 years, I have to say it's pretty obvious that the best gift that will keep us is a love for the truth. Because if you don't love the truth, you don't love Jesus who said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. If you don't love the truth, you'll love the lie. The lie says you can go your own way. You don't need God. You don't need to believe what God said. God's wisdom is the word of the cross. I can't fix the idea that in people's minds, the cross is a very wonderful thing, even if they don't believe in Christ. How many of you have driven by very expensive buildings called churches that have crosses, but the signage would indicate they reject everything we know is true. I've talked about this before. We are the world. No, we're not. We believe, and then they list a bunch of things they believe. Based on what? Objective truth? Why do I believe that Jesus Christ died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, in order to bring us to God? Because it's objective truth. Had God allowed me to go my own way, which I intended to do, to live however I wanted, to have nothing to do with religious people, to just exist and try to solve all my own problems, the objective facts about who he is would not change one bit. Let me tell you something that may be a big shock. Reality is not a state of mind. Okay? That is a lie. I have a longer statement I want to read that I put into my notes. And here here it goes. The massive lie that has prevailed throughout church history is that this is no longer true. Let me say what? Become a fool that you might be wise. Back to the statement that I wrote in my notes. This lie states that the church can please Christ and the world and even rule over the world while doing so. The lie of Christendom is that the cross can become popular with the world. Cathedrals can be built to attract the world. The message of the cross 
to be made acceptable to those who do not know Christ. That the offense of the cross can be mitigated through church growth processes. The lie further claims that works righteousness can replace the imputed righteousness of Christ and therefore the teaching of Christ and his apostles no longer imply a narrow gate or narrow path. I have more to say, but let me just comment on why I wrote this in my notes. Nothing actually changes. There's still judgment coming, even though the deluded world says it will not happen. There is still a narrow path and a narrow gate. It doesn't mean we're more pious. It means that only God determines how we come to him. You cannot take a poll of potential religious consumers and then give everybody what they want and say, there, it's all good. It's a grand lie. I want to get back to the statement because I didn't want to forget any of this. But we can't replace the imputed righteousness of Christ. That's what we need. Liberalism promotes universalism and Eastern religion. It used to be pretty rare, at least in the culture, but Eastern religion ideas are everywhere. There's signage, symbols, seminars, and so forth. I researched this and wrote about it. I'm not making this up. Some of the biggest seminaries promote Eastern religion. Monism, all is one. There's no judgment. Many teach moral and spiritual evolution. We're ascending into godhood, not descending toward judgment. Back to the statement, church growth theory claims that masses of people can be Christianized through people management theory and better living through religion. There you go. Learn people management theory and have a um, people movement. That's what C. Peter Wagner called it. Taught that at Fuller Seminary. The New Apostolic Reformation claims that people will flock to meetings when mighty apostles and prophets do greater worse than Jesus and his apostles ever did. All of this, all of this is the wisdom of this age. It's a lie. It's a delusion. It's self-delusion. Those who have these grand meetings and say, come, we're going to do greater miracles than Jesus ever did. Come to the meeting. Better hope that it doesn't happen, which it can't anyhow. But there's one sign given to this perverted generation, the sign of Jonah. It's already happened. At some point, Antichrist will be released to promote the lie with lying signs and wonders. What's the use of filling massive buildings and telling people that they're religious and therefore God's happy with them? 
the truth is still what it is. And I make a statement here at the bottom of this slide that you can read the option to please Christ and the world does not exist. It does not exist. That doesn't even seem hard to understand. But people mock that idea. And it's really sad. I know when I was a new Christian, the group uh, where I went to Bible college, and we've been sorting through some of these old photos and bring back a lot of memories. But they used to talk about people being gospel-hardened. Really what it is is people adopt a culture and they don't want to hear any more about the truth. I don't know if that's a valid category, but I remember hearing it. Let's go to verse 19. Now, Paul will cite sources, including ones you normally would wonder about, such as one of Job's comforters, but I'll explain how that can be. 1 Corinthians 3.19. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. Since it is written, quote, he catches the wise in their craftiness. Now here Paul cites Eliphaz, Job 5.13. So some have wondered, well, we know Eliphaz is probably not the best source, but he was right about this. God does catch the wives in their craftiness. To cite someone uh, from wisdom literature as known and affirm that that statement is correct doesn't mean that Job's comforters were correct about everything they said. They were not. And so the crafty, wise people of this world do devise religions. They become very, very good. And the, the grand delusion, and I heard this for the decades that I've been a Christian, and I definitely see it in the scripture. What is the one grand lie that the whole world is dreaming about and wants to see come to fruition. They want one world without boundaries under man with peace and prosperity and no future judgment. And we hear about this even now. It's one huge grand delusion. And let me help you understand how to discern when you're being told such things. A couple of us went to a conference in Illinois to hear this Jürgen Moltmann. I wrote about a chapter about him in his book about Emergent. And we would ask them, do you believe that God is going to bring judgment as described in the Bible? The answer would be a description of what they like. Please keep in mind this. It'll help you witness to people. They would describe their state of mind or preferences. 
they'd say this. We do not tend to like any theology that has the cosmos ending in fiery judgment. I heard that several times. So they didn't tell me that the Bible actually doesn't teach future judgment. They said, we don't like it. Well, I know they don't like it. But see, there is the delusion. The idea that all you need to do is change your thinking, you change reality. When God brings the future judgment, which he has announced through his prophets, he's not going to ask permission from religious people. Do you think the cosmos, as we see it, should be judged by God? Christians will say it will be, and we need to repent. God will create a new heavens and a new earth. Emergence says, we don't like that. We don't like that, and we're really, really smart. I don't doubt that they're smart. I don't have an IQ test to give people. In fact, we're so smart, we can create an entire theological edifice from human philosophy. Take some scripture, some neo-Hegelian panentheism, and create a stairway to heaven. That's what we like. That's what we like. We don't like boundaries. We don't like categories. But we like moral and spiritual evolution. That's what wisdom of this age looks like. But it is folly. Now, what happens if you do embrace the truth of the cross? And having turned to Christ and known him, what are your friends going to say? Most of us have experienced that. We, the new, new Christians love to tell what God did for them. In fact, a few days after I was converted, they put me up in front of a bunch of teenagers to tell my testimony. I had never heard a testimony. They asked, well, what's that? They said, well, tell what God did for you. So I did. Then they had their Pentecostal meeting and people coming forward. I didn't know anything about it, but I knew that God had intervened in my life. Here's what happens. Many people prefer the comfort of the familiar. Some of my friends decide just to stay in their massive Christianized world. And so on. So what we need to know is can we make life better, make the world a better place to live in, make the world a nice paradise-like place by good works without future judgment? Can we do that? No. And I've written over the decades, I used to occasionally publish letters to the editor and sometimes they're nicely done, not anymore. I, I don't have anything in common with very many people in the world of publishing right now. But the fact is that 
someone came out and said, well, if we can live 150 years, that's enough. We're talking about eternity. Okay? We still, well, no, we're going to have breakthroughs. 150 years. Okay, so what happens when your car gets run over by a train? Well, I guess those 150 years weren't quite enough, were they? Life is short. We need a Savior. Man's wisdom is religious works. Let's look at verse 20. And again, the Lord knows the reasonings of the wise are futile. He's using important words here in the Greek. We get our word dialogue, but it's dialogismos, reasonings. That word is used 14 times in the New Testament, most commonly in the book of Luke. One of the things that we see in the book of Luke with this word reasonings is the idea that Jesus Christ knows the thoughts of the heart. Only God knows the heart. Did you know that? God is called the heart knower. He claims to know the very motivations and intent of the heart of human beings, even in our self-delusion. And what he knows about the reasonings of the wise is that they are futile, which is a citation of Psalm 94.11 from the Greek Septuagint, Psalm 93.11, different numbering system. That very word, I put it here in my notes, dialogismus, um, and the Lord knows these reasonings. Jesus knew those reasonings. In Luke 5, 22, he knows their reasoning. So he says to this guy, they went through all this work in Luke 5 to get a guy who was paralyzed, brought down in front of Jesus to be healed. So he looks at the guy and says, your sins are forgiven. Oh, come on. Okay, we go to all this trouble, lower him down through a thatched roof, get him to the front of the line, he's paralyzed, and Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. Now, let's stop and contemplate that. If we believe the truth, what's worse? To be lame for a time and have eternal life and the hope of the resurrection. Or to be healed, but not have forgiveness of sins. It turns out it's not an either or. It's evidence that he has this power. So Jesus, knowing their reasonings, starts out by saying, your sins are forgiven. And then they didn't like that answer. Who is this? Who do you think you are? In order that you may know, Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Arise, take up your bed and walk. He got up and he walked. The purpose of the signs are not to make life more comfortable now, though I would say anyone is better off 
living for Christ. But it's to prove that there is eternal life and that the gift is forgiveness of sins, hope, eternal life, and a relationship with God forever. That's what the gospel is about. Dear ones, people will mock that, and they still do. Well, you have your stupid religion, but we're going to make the world safe for Antichrist. Oh, they don't say that, do they? The absurdities that people believe. Honestly, I got to doubt that there's a love for the truth, even amongst some who understand science. They're worried about carbon dioxide. And um, one time they asked a film, I was the guest of a radio show, and they sent PBS and a film crew to film us talking about global warming and carbon dioxide. So I happened to study that at Iowa State, and I got all, I studied, I read Al Gore's book, I understood it, explained what is and is not pollution, what we can know, cannot know. Film crew from New York, film, film, film. Not one second of that ever got on PBS of what I had to say. Now, why? Because they knew we believed the judgment's coming, and they assumed our answer would be, pollute all you want because God's going to burn it all up anyhow. But instead, I pointed out that carbon dioxide is the very thing that makes the earth green. Did you know that? Talk about futile reasoning. It's hard not to get angry. We want green. Good. Then you'll love carbon dioxide. It makes the earth green. No, I thought, well, maybe I'm just mocking people, and that's not right. But I'm thinking, I don't think they know that. What would the earth look like? By the way, it's just parts per million. What would the earth look like if carbon dioxide was removed? Life would cease and be totally brown. But they just didn't show it. They didn't show that. They didn't even want to hear it. There's nothing unreasonable about living godly lives. There's nothing unreasonable about taking care of our property, of taking care of our gardens, of keeping things green and being responsible. But in the end, the reasonings are such that forgiveness of sins, what in the world are you talking about? The most important thing anyone can have is forgiveness of sins. And by the way, God has so created this world that it's amazing, the anthropic principle, the, this constants, the speed of gravity, the, the minutia parts of trace uh, elements in the atmosphere make life possible on earth. That's a sign of intelligent creation. Romans one twenty one says, even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. So Paul cites Psalm 94.11 or 93.11 in the Septuagint, 
to show how empty, idle, frivolous, and pointless such reasonings are. I am not against debate. I love the debate of ideas. And I wouldn't have agreed to be interviewed or discuss this if I didn't think I had, I could go into the arena of public debate and deal with it. What you'll find is this. Those who believe the lie do not want debate because they can't reasonably defend their position. They'll go to emotions every time. You're evil because you don't agree with me. That's what, they, that's what they do. Now, we have some applications all from Romans. Between what's been happening in the news and what we read here, I thought as I wrote this sermon, this passage has to go into Romans. And I haven't preached Romans for some decade, so I want to bring back to our mind some of the key things that we learn in Romans. Three points. The religion of man is based on the lie it cannot be pleasing to God. Two, the world believes the lie, but we are called to believe the truth and be saved. Three, there is no valid process whereby the wisdom of God will be popular with the world. I hope that's obvious. Honestly, I hope it's obvious. When you see the world telling us what the dreams of the world are, we're not wrong to see the lie of Antichrist right there. We don't know how long history will go. We don't know when God will say enough's enough. But we do know that the lie never becomes the truth. Let's go to Romans 1.18. Romans 1.18. Heck, as you, if you brought your Bibles along, or you, some people have them on little computers, let's start with verse 14. I'll preach the gospel while we're on this slide here. Romans 1, 16, 17, and 18. Paul said this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God <clears throat> me. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also the Greek. Verse 17, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, and it is, as it is written, the righteous man shall live by faith. Verse 18, which is on a slide. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. So the world in its desire to have heaven on earth, have one world without boundaries, have some sort of a paradise without sin and problems and everything that people don't like, erase all the categories. 
refuse to believe this, but it doesn't change anything. The wrath of God is still revealed from heaven against ungodliness and unrighteousness. Now, when I first heard this, and I first heard that Christians actually believe the Bible, a lot of Christian religion doesn't believe the Bible. A lot of massive movements don't believe the Bible. But when I was told the Bible is actually true, and God will bring judgment, I, by his grace, was smitten to the heart. I was hostile. I was angry. I was so against religion, Christianity, anything. But God just simply made that obvious to me. God will bring his judgment. And in a moment, I knew that if I didn't repent and didn't believe in Christ, that God would be just in his judgment. That hell was real, and that's where I would end up. And by his grace, I was smitten to the heart, and I knew it was true. It didn't matter to me that ordained ministers told me there's no hell, that ordained ministers told me there's no miracles, that ordained ministers told me we just have to be good people and nice people because the Holy Spirit is the one who convicts us of sin. And he convicted me. I didn't deserve it. The gospel is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Who he is, what he did, why we need him, and what he expects of us. Who he is, God the Son, the creator of the universe. This is the either or that cannot be refuted by human wisdom. Either something or someone eternal exists or something not eternal came forth out of nothing. I knew that from science. Entropy. The universe is not eternal. It's created. The creator, the triune God of the Bible, created the entire universe out of nothing. Jesus Christ came into our world. The very creator was born of a virgin and lived a sinless life. He died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust to bring us to God. Is there any other world religion where the leader of the group predicted his own death, burial, and resurrection and pulled it off and appeared to over 500 witnesses? None. Did anyone find a body to prove that the disciples were deluded and there was no resurrection? No. Did people take money to lie about it? Yes. Is there evidence that we live in a sort of world that the Bible says we do? There's a lot of evidence. If you look up the anthropic principle, you'll see how the world's designed that we can live here. 
and though there's a fall. Jesus Christ died for sins. He shed his blood. The only way to avert God's wrath against sin is through the blood atonement. Not through the blood of bulls and goats, but through the sinless Savior, the blood of his son. God paid the price that we couldn't pay. And those who trust in him alone avert God's wrath against sin. And Jesus has called us to preach the gospel, called people to repent, to turn to him, and to trust him alone. Today, believe in the Lord Jesus and be saved. Now, people think, oh, be saved. What's that, a bumper sticker? Uh, Is that some slogan that brain-dead Christians put on their little sign? No, it means to be rescued from God's wrath. I don't care what emergence said. I have a point on this slide. No one can change reality through semantic manipulation. I think Schaefer had a phrase, semantic mysticism. In other words, create a language that, that sounds enticing, but it doesn't describe anything real. When I was a very young person, John Lennon from the Beatles did that. Imagine. That's what I mean by semantic manipulation. Imagine. Imagine there's no heaven and hell. Imagine everything is one. So Lennon enticed a whole generation into an imagination that's based on unreality. So beware of that. Changing the meaning of words doesn't change reality. Today, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Repent, turn to him, and trust him alone. Let's look at Romans 1.25. I entitled this slide, The Wicked Exchange. Who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Now the lie, I use the new KGV because it did translate the definite article and it deserves to be translated. Throughout the Bible from Genesis all the way through, there is the truth versus the lie all the way into Revelation. Jesus uh, talked about this in John eight forty four. You are your father, the devil, he said to his critics, and you want to do the desires of your father. That one was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because the truth is not in him. Whenever, whenever he speaks the lie, literally, L-E-B translates it, he speaks from his own nature because he is a liar and the father of it, the father of lies. What is the lie of Satan? Has God said? What did he say in Genesis 3, 4 to the woman? You surely shall not die. God knows the day 
You both eat from it, your eyes will be open. You should be like gods. Erase the boundaries, erase the distinction. Go ahead, exchange the truth of God for the lie. Worship the creature. Tell people there is no judgment. Everything's evolving into paradise. And if we could just get rid of the resistors who won't let go along with it, paradise will emerge, but it will not. It's all a big lie. The truth is revealed in the Bible. I thank God that he intervened in my life before the delusion totally destroyed me. I was as deluded as anybody. But God was merciful. Maybe today someone will hear this and turn to Christ and trust him alone. Let's go to the last slide. Romans 8, 7 and 8. This is the thing that is so obvious. Let me read it and then we'll comment about it. Romans 8, 7 and 8. The mindset of the flesh is hostile to God because it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it is unable to do so. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Now here, the flesh would mean all that we are in our fallen state alienated from God. And when I started researching the church growth movement, I saw this and I wrote about it and I was shocked that those who should see this, it's so obvious, they glaze over. Have you ever told someone what's obviously true and they glaze over? You know what that looks like? Are you done? Are you done? What are you trying to tell me? The entire church growth movement is based on the idea that those who are in the flesh, who haven't turned to Christ, who won't listen to the idea that God has wrath against sin and there's coming judgment, that they will join a Christian church if you give them a good reason to. And as with Emergent, which was later, I went to the principal and asked about, why would you think that? They didn't give me an answer. Why would you think that people want to be religious and you don't even offer forgiveness of sins? Why take an oath to be religious? Why join a people movement? Why be in some great glorious, fun, cool thing. All my friends are doing it. Let's be religious. We'll call it Christian. It'll be wonderful. But you don't repent. You don't turn to Christ. And you don't escape God's wrath against sin. Oh, we believe those things, but we're not going to mention it. This hostility between the truth and the lie is not resolved through church growth, but conversion. When you are converted and you know Christ, you're even willing to go to church with people that you normally wouldn't want much to do with. 
Yeah, I know. You're all looking at me. I understand. I used to illustrate that with the people that I met as a new Christian in 1971. And some of them were so different to me. But what did we have in common? That Jesus Christ was Lord and Savior. And that's what made us one. I still hear from people I was in Bible college with. And it's it's fun to know that they're still serving the Lord. What about you? Are you willing, by God's grace, to serve him and do so with people that are eccentric in regards to what the world thinks about them? It doesn't matter where we've been. It doesn't matter what we used to do, who we used to be. It's who we are in Christ. That's our identity. And boasting is excluded. We'll talk about that more the next time I preach in 1 Corinthians. For now, I'll close in prayer, and then we'll have the benediction. Dear Lord, we thank you that you have allowed us to see things that angels desire to look into, that you've allowed us to see that you really have created this world, and you really do bring life and light and redemption and atonement to those who trust you. And Lord, I pray that today others will hear and repent and turn to you. And Lord, thank you for your goodness and your kindness and your mercy. And thank you for keeping us. Pray for those who are traveling or going places that, uh, where there may be difficulties. Pray that you protect each one. We thank you for what you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen.